recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Well, this morning, it's my great pleasure uh, to be launching us into our new uh, preaching series that's going to go for, I think, a few months, a couple of months, Um, and we're working our way through the book of Ecclesiastes, um, and the series is entitled Broken, and uh, okay, Uh, we're going to have to work with this new technology, we're going to do the best that we can. Um, As we, and I I trust that uh, many of you would have had the opportunity to uh, watch the uh, the clip that I included in the in the newsletter or on YouTube because it'll be really really helpful for you to understand the big picture uh, of Ecclesiastes and will save me a lot of time today this morning going over some of that that background information which is really helpful for you to see as we go that the more you understand the big idea and the big picture of Ecclesiastes it will help you to understand the little parts uh, throughout that at times can be confusing to kind of understand. Um, so if you haven't done that, I encourage you to do that even after today. Um, I'll, I'll include those clips, uh, the links again in the newsletters, and you can do that. And there's another one I'm going to send out this week as well, which will help you. Um, and a- another suggestion to get the most out of this series is to ha- come having pre-read the passages. And again, we will sh- uh, tell you what those are in the newsletter, so you have a bit of foreknowledge to be able to just read through and think about and reflect on and come prepared so that we don't have to read verse by verse uh, every week because some of the passages are quite long. So having said all that, uh, let's pray and we'll jump into it. Father, I thank you for this book. It's certainly not in the top 10 of our favorite books, uh, but Lord, I believe it has so much to say to us, particularly today in the context that we find ourselves in. And so, Lord, I pray as we journey through this book that you would really open our hearts to receive all that you want to say to us, to challenge us, to confront us, to encourage us, to inspire us, to live lives in this broken world that will honor Jesus and that uh, will glorify you and that, Lord, we can live well, that others who are caught up in this broken world will see a different way to live. And so we pray that you'll speak to our hearts, that you'll help me to communicate your word faithfully. uh, And Lord, that you would be with us in your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the helpful metaphors that uh, might help you think through this book is sandcastles. Building sandcastles. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this. This is a very elaborate and fancy one. that you can't see because the tech guys are trying to put this online and here as well, but we'll work it out. But if you've been to the beach, uh, I think Bondi have this festival every year where they do sand sculptures, but it's a little bit like that where you can spend so much time and energy and effort on something that doesn't last at all. Um, Over the years with the kids, I've had my fair share of building sandcastles, you know, and just when you think, that's it. It's perfect. It's beautiful. Somebody steps on it or the wind blows or a wave comes and it's just gone. Hours sometimes of work is gone. And I think that that's a really fitting image and a picture of what the writer of Ecclesiastes wants to teach us about life. And so I I hope that you will keep this in mind as we journey through the book and you'll keep coming back to it and reflecting sandcastles. That's kind of a picture for life. So before we jump into our passage this morning, 
I wanted to do some background work uh, and I guess give you some of the big ideas of the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, as I mentioned and alluded in my prayer, many people see Ecclesiastes as being one of the most difficult books in the Bible, in the Old Testament particularly. And one of the hardest to kind of understand and really not a very nice book to read. Um, But if, if I'm being honest, it's probably one of my favorite books and you'll probably see why as we go. So why is Ecclesiastes in the, in the naughty list, if you like, of Bible books? Well, lots of reasons. And here's a, a few of them. I don't know where. Okay, here we go. Um, the, there are heaps of grammatical and interpretive issues. Uh, one, of the, one of the ones you'll come across over and over again is this word meaningless that is repeated in the NIV. I think other... Uh, but that word, it's the Hebrew word hevel. Um, which you know, scholars have debated and wrestled with and argued about. Um, does it mean meaningless? Uh, I think it's closer uh, to meaning vapor or breath or um, something that's very, very hard to grab a hold of. I think that's a better translation. So that's been debated. There's other grammatical issues. Uh, there's debates around the authorship. The traditional view is Solomon. Uh, but there's good reasons to actually question that interpretation, I think. Um, there's definitely at least two voices, probably mainly two voices. If you read through it, you see this in chapter 1, verse 1, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. That's a kind of a narrator voice that's introducing it. And then there's the first person teacher voice that goes for the majority of the book. And then chapter 12 ends with the author or the narrator uh, kind of concluding and summarizing thoughts. So there's at least two voices. Um, most people kind of, uh, when they talk about Ecclesiastes, talk about the, the author and the speaker or uh, the narrator and Kohelet uh, is the, the one that they kind of refer to. So when you're looking up articles on Ecclesiastes, you'll come across that word Kohelet. Where does that come from? Well, the English translation is the teacher. The teacher. Uh, Kohelet comes from a Hebrew root word that means gathering, kahal, which means gathering or assembly. And so Kohelet is someone who plays a role or has a function within a gathering. That's really what it is. And that's what teacher means. That's why they've come up with the English word teacher to try and summarize that word. Now, the other interesting thing you're wondering, where does the name Ecclesiastes come from? Well, that's the Greek word, Ecclesia, which is also the word for church, gathering, assembly. That's where it comes from. So Ecclesiastes is the Greek equivalent of Kohelet, the teacher. So that's debated as well. And then the argument of the book. There's so many inconsistencies or apparent contradictions. And say one minute the author is saying one, like Kohelet is saying one thing. The next minute he seems to be saying the opposite thing. And what does he mean? Like how do we reconcile these two things? So that makes it difficult as well. And then for a lot of people, this idea of the hedonistic tone of the book or some of the statements that he makes, which come very close to being kind of heretical. You think, are you really saying that? You know, how does kind of God fit into all of that? So essentially there are passages in here that he's pretty much saying, look, life sucks. Just party hard. Just, you know, particularly young people, you know, just live, live hard. Just go hard. And, you know, people are going how do we deal with that? Like, how do we make sense of that? So that's, you know, another thing that people struggle with and wrestle with. And then just, just this general bleak, despairing, negative, dark outlook on life. You read this and you kind of go, I think I'm going to go eat worms. Life really is terrible and awful. And so all of those reasons make it hard. And so throughout history, people have kind of responded to um, Ecclesiastes in, in different ways. And they are... On the next slide. Here we go. 
What do we do with Ecclesiastes? Well, uh, people have debated whether it should even be in the canon of Scripture. Should we just reject it because of the, all of those issues that I mentioned? It just doesn't seem to fit really well in, in what should be included in the canon. Um, and obviously, there's good reasons to keep it in there, which is why it's still in our Bibles. And I, I definitely think it's the Word of God, and it has a lot to teach us. But people have wrestled and struggled with it. Another response to Ecclesiastes is to kind of accept it as being God's Word, but in practice, ignore it. Just kind of go, you know what? I'm not going to read it. It's too depressing. We're not going to preach about it. You know, a lot of churches actually don't preach Ecclesiastes for a whole bunch of different reasons. So kind of to ignore it in practice. Or to reinterpret it to suit our own kind of preferences and go, oh, I don't think it's really saying what I, what I, what I think it's saying. I think it's more saying this and try to allegorize it and you know, make it softer in what it's trying to say. So people have done that over the years as well. So you can see that it's a really hard book to come to terms with. So how should we engage with Ecclesiastes? Well, I think we should wrestle with it. We should struggle with it because it will be that. It, it, there'll be hard things for us to get our head around, but it's worth the effort to wrestle and struggle with it. I think we also ought to um, uh, accept, sorry, that's not the next one. You're going to have to help me here. Be open. Be open to God and be open to change. Because Ecclesiastes has some difficult things to say that we might not like to hear, but maybe God is wanting to speak to us through that. Uh, one commentator, Ian Povan, he said this. We must always consider the possibility when we encounter a difficult biblical book that the problem lies not with the book itself, but with ourselves. The difficulty may be that the book speaks truly about reality while we are devoted to illusions. The difficulty may be that we are not too keen to embrace the truth, but prefer to embrace half-truths or lies. That's quite a confronting and challenging statement. So to be open to what God might be wanting to say to us in this moment of our lives in, in, the, in a COVID world, I think Ecclesiastes has a lot to say to us and God has a lot to say to us in and through Ecclesiastes. The last way I think to engage with Ecclesiastes is to accept it, to accept the reality that this book is going to be messy and confusing and hard because he's trying to, the writer, Kohelet, the speaker, is trying to tell us about life. And which of us, having lived a little bit, could say, yeah, life is straightforward. Life is predictable. Life is easy. Life, no, it is messy and it is confusing and it is hard and it is frustrating. And so, except that if somebody's trying to tell us about life as it really is, then it's going to be messy and it's going to be hard to figure out and but it's worth reflecting on. So some helpful ways to engage with what Kohelet um, has to, to teach us. So what's his worldview? Like what, when Kohelet looks at the world and reality, wh what does he see? Well, again, he sees a few things. Uh, firstly, he sees that our, our universe is a moral universe, that there is right and wrong, that there are righteous and wicked, that there are wise and fools, that, that God is going to hold all of us and all of humanity to account to how we've lived. No one's going to escape. No one's going to get away with anything because it's a moral universe that we live in. He also says that throughout, in different ways, that this world we live in has been created by God. And because of that, it is good. It's broken, absolutely. It's kind of bent out of shape. But it's still God's world. And God's still in it. 
in a, in a very real and profound and powerful way. And so we need to appreciate the good things that are still a part of this broken and bent out of shape world. As we've already talked about, everything is hevel or everything is a vapor or a mist or everything is transient. It's, it's you know, it's, it, it's vanishing. It's another way of thinking about it. It's like it's all so temporary and uh, fickle. And so he's saying that about our world and about achievement and about wealth and about knowledge and wisdom and a whole bunch of things. It's fleeting. It's a world that's out of control. And in spite of our best efforts and our best attempts to try and control our own destiny, he will tell us over and over again, you're fooling yourself, you're kidding yourself. The world that we live in, the life that we know, reality as we know it, if you're honest with yourself, you can see that it's really out of your control. And lastly, and he comes back to this over and over again, death is final. Death is universal. Death comes to all of us. Death is the great equalizer. Death ought to help us reflect and think about how to live well because it is a certainty that we will all encounter and experience. So that's kind of Kohelet's worldviews. What does Kohelet want to teach us? What is, what is kind of the big idea, the main message he wants us to take away? Well, it can be summarized in a statement that he will come back to over and over again. So you'll notice some of these themes will repeat throughout. And so if you hear some of our preachers saying the same thing, it's because Kohelet tells us the same thing over and over again. And I think there's a reason for that. And we'll talk a little bit about that. So you'll see meaningless interpreted in the NIV or vanity or that word hevel appears over and over again. The, the word gain appears over and over again, that there is no gain. And then this phrase is, I think, the main idea he wants us to take away, chasing after the wind, chasing after the wind. He says, just get that visual image in your head. Life, if you live it under illusion, that you can control your own destiny, that you can achieve you know, something that's sustainable long-term, that you can actually make a difference to secure your own life in any way by your wealth, by your knowledge, by your achievement. He says you're chasing after the wind. And he's trying to get us to do two things. One is to recognize the illusions that we've convinced ourselves of, the mirages that we are chasing after that are just mirages. They're going to vanish just like that. And that's why I think he repeats the same things over and over again because when we live in this world, it's easy to be fooled. And particularly today in Western culture, I think there's so much that goes against this truth, the reality of life, that I think we need to heed Kohelet's wisdom over and over and over again, because our culture wants to convince us that the illusions are actually true, that we can find meaning and permanence and lifelong fulfillment by chasing after the wind. And Kohelet wants to remind us over and over again, no, you, you, you can't. It's not designed that way. Life is broken. It doesn't work that way. And the second thing I think Kohelet wants to do over and over again is to remind us of who we are, of our fragility, of, of how mortal and finite we really are. And I think, again, th- this problem for humanity began in the Garden of Eden where humans were sold the lie that, what, we can be like God in Genesis 3, Satan tells them. And I think since then, we've believed that. And I think for the most part, we still believe that. 
that we can be like God, that we can live forever, that we can leave a legacy that continues on, that we can have control and power, that we can do things with our strength, with our knowledge, with our accomplishments that will going to Genesis 11, make a name for ourselves, which is what the people of the Tower of Babel said. You know, we are going to ascend to heaven to be like God and to make a name for ourselves. And that has been humanity's craving and desire and quest ever since Genesis 3. And Kohelet wants to say, I've, I've, I've lived in the real world. I've, I've done everything you would dream of doing. I've, I've thought about everything possible that you could do. And that's why I think he takes on the, the, the persona of Solomon, if you like. He, he's like we had in our Christmas drama. You know, Gabriel is clearly not Mahatma Gandhi. And Michael Griffith was clearly not, um, I can't remember the character he played, the, PC, the Microsoft guy, Bill Gates. Um, clearly not not those people, but they stepped into their shoes to act as them and tell us to think about life. That's what Kohelet does. He says, look, I'm, I'm going to take on the persona of the greatest king Israel's ever known, the most successful, powerful, wise uh, king who achieved everything, the, the infinite degree of human success that you can imagine in your mind. I'm going to take on his role and speak from his voice and tell you it's all chasing after the wind. So don't Waste your life chasing after the wind. There is another way to live. There is a better way to live. And that's what he wants to do, to expose the illusions and to call us to reflect on life and to ask ourselves the question, is there another way? Is there a better way? And if so, Kohelet, tell me. Tell me what that better way is. Because you know, you've looked into this, you've researched it. And hopefully as we journey through this book, it will give us cause to be honest with the lives we're living and critique it just like Kohelet does. And go, God, there's something wrong about my priorities, my values, the, the things that I'm chasing after. I need to live differently. Because Kohelet warns us over and over again, if we buy into the illusion... And if we chase after the wind, we are destined for a life of futility. We're destined for misery and pain and emptiness and darkness and discouragement because we're never going to find the thing that we're looking for. We're never actually going to be able to grasp it. So that's kind of the big idea. Are you depressed yet? It's not meant to be. And that's what there are some commentators that take a very negative view of Kohelet. I, I don't think that's what he's trying to do. He's not trying to depress people. The best way I can describe what Kohelet is trying to do is to smack you upside the head. Psh, 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 psh. You know, like when you're deluded, that's what you need to just wake up. And that's what he's trying to do. Say, so stop chasing the wind. Wake up. Look at the world. Observe it. Look at your own life. Surely you know the truth of what I'm saying. And if you don't, then I'm going to tell you over and over again so that you can stop and reflect and listen and learn and change. So that brings us to chapter 1. So if you've got your Bibles, open to chapter 1. And we're not going to read through all of these. I'm just going to you know, uh, draw your attention to some of the, the big ideas and movements of the text and, I, and try and share with you what I think Kohelet is trying to say and draw out some kind of practical uh, applications of what to do with it. Uh, now again, in, in one sense, it's very straightforward what Kohelet is trying to say here. You kind of read it and go, yeah, I kind of get that. But in another way, we need to reflect on why he's telling us that and the significance and the importance and the relevance of that for us. 
So three quick thoughts that are pretty straightforward. Verse 2 and verse 3, basically he's articulating the main idea that he's been saying, he's saying in the whole of the book. Life is fleeting and elusive. And here he does this thing that we're quite familiar with when we read Jesus' words in the New Testament where Jesus says, verily, verily, or truly, truly, the double repetition. He repeats the, that key word, hevel, multiple times in this, just in verse 2. Hebel, Hebel, says the teacher, utterly Hebel. Everything is Hebel. Do you get the point? He's just starting us right up the top saying, let me just make this clear. All right? Everything, everything is fleeting. Everything is like a puff of smoke. Everything is, and the double repetition, meaningless, meaningless, Hebel, Hebel, is kind of not only intensifying that statement, but elevating it to the highest degree to, to convey this truth. If, if, if you're not hearing Kohelet, he's saying, listen to me, it's utterly meaningless. A vapor, fickle, gone. And then in verse 3, he, he introduces this other word that will come up to uh, several times. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Now, he doesn't answer the question, but it is implied in what he goes to say. The answer is zero. There is no net gain. Now, again, the, the word gain he uses there is a, is a business word that he uses. So it's, he's, he's wanting you to think about life as being a commercial activity. And the idea here is that living your life to leverage it to provide commercial benefit. And he says, you, you're not going to have a, a, a surplus left at the bottom of your balance sheet. If you live life that way as trying to leverage it, to, to, to gain from it, to grasp it, so that at the end of your life, you're going to have something left at the bottom line that stays on after you're gone, that you, know, that you can kind of quantify and control and measure where you, you think your activity, your intellect, your wealth, whatever, is going to work for you to be able to control the world and, and give you predictable, regular, consistent outcomes that are going to be net gain for you. Think again. Think again. Because everything... Is, is just that. It's, it's transient. It's a vapor. It's a mist. And it will not give you a net gain on the balance sheet of your life. Pretty obvious. Then the second thing he does in this whole big section where he kind of gets them to look at the world. Verse 5, the sun rises, the sun sets, hurries back or rushes back to where it rises again. The wind blows to the south, turns to the north, round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. He's talking about all these different patterns and rhythms in the universe that are regular, that just happen. He's saying life is repetitive. Life is in a cycle. And anyone observing the world can see that. That the, the, the sun moves in certain cycles, the wind moves in a certain way, so much so that scientists and meteorologists and other people can actually predict certain things. That's why we check our weather forecasts every day. Because there is a rhythm and a, a regularity and a routine to life. What's his point? Well, if you interpret it negatively, it, it, it's like, oh man, life is boring. Life is monotonous. Life, life can suck the life out of you because it is that. You know, like the video clip that we did as a promo kind of showed that the, the mundaneness and, and the, the repetitiveness of our lives where we get up and we 
do whatever we do before we go to work and then we go to work and then we come home and and then the next day is repeat 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 over and over and over again and that can suck the life out of you because you notice the number of times he uses the word again all things are wearisome. More than one can say, verse 8, the eye has never, seeing, uh, never enough of seeing, not the ears full of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. Repetitive. Life is repetitive. But looking at it in a positive way, he wants us to kind of go, look at the world you live in. People have come, people have gone, people have done things and achieved things, but only the earth, verse 4. Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. These patterns remain forever. And human advancement, human achievement, human, the height of it has not been able to change any of those things. The sun still rises and sets. The wind still blows wherever it wants to blow. The rain still comes, goes into the sea, but there's no net gain in the sea level. It returns to the water side. These, these patterns, are go- the universe, the order, the structure will continue. You won't. And the repetitiveness of life will help you see your finiteness, your mortality compared to these universal realities. Life is repetitive. And the third thing that flows out of those first two things is that you, me, we are insignificant. We are insignificant. And he he brings that out quite strongly when he says generations come and generations go. But the earth remains forever. And then in verse 11, no one remembers the former generations And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. See, again, Kohelet is not saying absolutely that there is nothing new. I mean, there are new inventions and new discoveries. And you're probably thinking, hang on a second, I don't know if that's a fair statement. No, he's, he's not trying to say that. He's trying to say in comparison to these universal truths of order and rhythm that have been here forever and will continue to be forever, any new thing is not really a new thing. It's often a reinvention or an adjustment or a tweak or a shift of something that's already been. But human achievement, even at its greatest and best, does not compare to these other eternal things. We're insignificant. Now, I know quite a bit about my father's life and his story. I know less about my grandfather's or my grandparents' life story. And I know zero or very, very little about my great-grandparents' Now just stop and think about that. How many generations before you'll be forgotten? How many generations before your grandkids, your great-grandkids, your great-great-grandkids won't even really know who you are or what you did or what you accomplished and what you achieved? That's kind of what Kohelet is saying. Just think about that. Because that ought to affect how you live your life. You won't be remembered. We're insignificant. So how do we live well in this world? If that's what Kohelet is saying. What is he saying to us as a different way to live? What can we glean from what he's saying here? These truths that are eternal in terms of being God's word to us today. As we live in a COVID world, I think we're more ready to hear what Kohelet has to say. 
Because so many of us have experienced some of these things of going, wow, these things that I've worked hard for and tried to achieve, my health or my job or, or my, my relationships or whatever, have all been thrown up in the air in this COVID world. So how do we live well in this repeat? You know, last Easter, we were in a COVID world. This Easter, who knows what it's going to look like. And, and there's a repetition. We come to church and, you know, we're wearing masks. So there's just a, a rhythm and a repetition that can so easily suck the life out of our soul. So how should we live well? Well, I think the first thing is to heed Kohelet's advice to stop chasing the wind. To just stop long enough to recognize what it is we're doing, to stop and to think and to reflect on our lives. And see, the thing is, Ecclesiastes and Kohelet is not the last word that God has to say to us. Kohelet didn't know about Jesus. He didn't know about the New Testament. He didn't know about all the things that Jesus was going to come and teach and, 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 and represent. See, because there, there is one that can, can do new things. There is, even though you and I can't, there, there is one that, that came. And, and as he goes on to tell us in verse 14, uh, I, uh, sorry, verse 13, I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. It's, it's the consequences of our sin. It's the consequences of the choices we made in the Garden of Eden when we rejected God's authority over our lives and we wanted to be God's ourselves. And God says, okay, if that's what you want, then you will experience the consequences of futility that come from you being your own God or thinking that you can be. And yet there was one that was to come that was born into our world, became human just like us, but perfect. And he took on him and and our burden of sin and rebellion was laid on him. God laid that burden of our disobedience and our rebellion and our sin and our rejection of him on Jesus, his son, who submitted to him perfectly as his heavenly father. And Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sin so that you and I could be forgiven and made new. Made new, restored, transformed. And that's why Jesus says, you know, I will give you new life, eternal life, life to the full, life with meaning and purpose. And so for those of us who are on this journey of faith, whether you're in this room or outside or watching, you know, online, think about Kohelet's words, stop chasing the wind. And Jesus would use a phrase to kind of echo Kohelet's teaching. He says, what, what do you gain if you get the whole world? What, like what profit? Same kind of idea. If you gain the whole world and you lose your soul in the process, what profit is that? And then in in Matthew 11, he says, for all of you who are weary and are heavy laden, similar language to what the teacher is saying here, if you're burdened and you're weighed down because you've been chasing the wind and you're just exhausted and you're tired, he gives you an invitation. He says, come to me and I will give you rest and your soul will find rest. That's what Jesus offers us. That's what the gospel offers us. The opportunity to be made new. The opportunity to find rest from the weariness that comes from chasing the wind as we trust in what Jesus has done to take the burden of our sin on himself and give us a new kind of life, a different kind of life that death even, and we sang about it this morning, does not have the power to stop. And see, Kohelet didn't have a a full understanding or revelation of resurrection, but you and I do. 
And in the New Testament, we're told that even death will be swallowed up in victory. And because of that, we have this eternal hope that Michael referred to, that Jesus will make all things new. The whole universe, the whole of creation will be made new, finally free from the futility and the frustration that it's been subjected to because of our sin and rebellion. And there will be a restored world that will be brand new, free of all of that. And that is the hope that you and I have in the gospel. And so Jesus invites us to come to him and receive rest for our soul. And Kohelet says, stop chasing the wind. Come to Jesus. If he knew about Jesus, that's what he would say. But the New Testament says, come to Jesus instead and you will find a different kind of life. And it's a radical difference because Jesus said, you know, if you want true life, you've got you to lose it. The only way to find it is to lose it. The only way to get life is to lay it down, is to die to yourself. It's to be like a grain of wheat. It's to bow the knee to me and say, I am not God, you are. I am not in control, you are. And he's the one that does control even the sun and the moon, does control the wind and the waves, does control these things that are uncontrollable for you and for me. He controls them. And our life can be found as we bow the knee to him. Secondly, I think Kohelet would get us to think about developing, fostering wonder and having a heart that in, in the monotony of life cultivates delight and wonder. You know, there, there's an interesting verse that's again debated. In verse 8, where it says, All things are wearisome. More than one can say, The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear it's full of hearing. People debate, is that a negative statement or a positive statement? Is he saying that that's why there's nothing new? Because humans are just discontent. We just want more and more and more. We're trying to grasp more and more and more. Yeah, it could mean that. But another commentator says, No, I think it, that Kohelet is kind of saying, As you reflect on these universal created rhythms and beauties, it should stir your heart to continue to wonder at the marvels of God's creation. You know, the sun rises and the sun sets. Dash and I were in Greece, uh, 2019, and one of the things we did was go to the sunsets because the Greek sunsets are meant to be spectacular. You know, everyone was different. It was the same thing, right? The sun is rising and the sun is setting, but it's the same but different. It's new. And it's because there is that sense of wonder and awe of the glory of God in the mundane. It's, Kohelet would say, have the heart of a child. Uh, I don't know, parents, if you've had this experience, but I certainly did with my kids. When I threw them up in the air, they would come down squealing and giggling. And what would they say? Again. And then you'd do it, and they'd go, again. And if I didn't stop them, I'd be there for an hour, just throwing them up and down, up and down. It was the same thing, but there was a sense of awe and wonder and delight in the sameness how often we miss God in the routine and the mundane and the repetitiveness of life. Kohelet would say, cultivate wonder. You know, that's what the children of Israel, they, they forgot. They, they had manna every day and again and again and again and again. And it was like, oh, it's just this manna again. And I get that. And I'm sure you get that. If we had manna every day, we'd kind of go, come on, God, again. But God is the God of again. 
You know, that's what the Lord's Prayer says. Give us this day our daily bread. God is not embarrassed or ashamed or weirded out because we ask for the same things again and again and again and again. God is not ashamed to give us forgiveness for the same thing again and again and again and again. It's we that have the problem with it. We lose the wonder of it. That God, I have manna today. Wow, if you didn't, I'd have nothing today. But you gave me manna today. God, you forgave me today, again, for the same thing, again. Cultivate awe and wonder and delight. You know, um, going back to building sandcastles, you know, even though it's a futile exercise, I've built my fair share of sandcastles with Ebony and Micah over the years, and it was learning to delight in the again. Yes, the wave came and smashed it, and we'd build it again, and there was a wonder and delight because I was doing it with her and, and she was enjoying that and we were spending time together and, and there's delight and wonder in the again if you can just learn to cultivate a heart that sees God in that moment. Cultivate wonder. Thirdly, I think do new things. You know, even though Kohelet says there's nothing new under the sun, there are things that are new for you. Things that are new for me. Eat food you haven't eaten before. Meet people you've never met before. Go home a different way. Neurological research, scientific research shows that it is good for our neural pathways in our brain to do new things, different things, because it actually increases our enjoyment and satisfaction in life. If you're caught in a routine and mundane, do new things. A new hobby, a new interest, read a different kind of book, watch a different kind of movie. Do new things for you and appreciate the beauty of the world that God has made in all its richness and diversity. Don't shrink your world, enlarge it. And lastly, live for eternal gain. Again, Kohelet, when he wrote this, did not know what Jesus would say when he said, don't store up treasure on earth, but... Because Kohelet would just stop there. Don't store up treasure on earth because it's futile. But Jesus adds a but. But store up treasure in heaven. That's where there is the real gain. And, and Paul says in, in Corinthians that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It, it does make a difference. Invest your life into things that will outlive you. There are things that will outlive you. Not your uh, academic achievements, not your work achievements, not the palaces and the sandcastles you will build, none of those will remain. The one thing that will remain is all that you've invested into the kingdom of God because that is eternal. Which is why Paul can say in Colossians, what is my greatest joy? It is seeing people that I have preached to and witnessed to and ministered to standing there in the glory of God with me enjoying Jesus forever. It is the one legacy that will outlive you. It is the one thing worth investing your whole life here and now for. It is the one thing that will bring you gain and leave you a net surplus at the end of your life. I finish with this one illustration. If you want to just jump up. Groundhog Day. I don't know if you've seen that movie. I encourage you, watch it. It's the story of Bill Murray. He plays the character of, I think, uh, Paxitoni Phil, I think his name is. He gets caught in this weird situation where the same day repeats over and over. And for a while, he's intrigued and he's kind of trying to figure it all out. And then he kind of tries to leverage it for personal gain. He tries and does all these dodgy things to get what he wants and, you know, just spend it, this gift, as it were, on himself. And ultimately, it leads to exactly what the teacher says frustration, irritation, 
disappointment, feeling trapped, wanting to get out until something clicks in his brain. Maybe he read Ecclesiastes and he kind of went, hang on, I'm living this life all wrong. It's all messed up. It's futile. It's pointless. It's meaningless. And he says, you know what? I'm going to take this as a gift, as an opportunity to make a difference in somebody else's life. And everything changes for him. Everything changes in the world around him and ultimately brings about his true freedom. That's what the teacher says. If you live your life chasing the wind, you'll just find futility, emptiness, despair. But if you live it under the fear of God and you enjoy the good things of life as gifts from God and you enjoy it as being a steward that God has entrusted those things to you to use for His namesake and His glory and His kingdom, as Jesus said, you will find real life. Why don't you bow your heads? pray with me Father in this moment we just take some time to reflect and I encourage you in this moment just take a moment because Kohelet would say stop reflect For listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.